In the name of Jesus, amen. Jesus says today, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus saying with these words? He condescends himself to us to get on our level to speak to us in a way that we can understand. The truth is, is that we tend to think of righteousness as some sort of scale. Right? Righteousness, by the way, means doing the right thing, hence the word righteous. Uh, that is doing whatever agrees with God's law. And you heard of the law there in the Old Testament reading, the, t- uh, the Ten Commandments. Doing those things, that is right. That is the right thing to do all the time, no matter the situation. So when we draw up righteousness, we wittingly or unwittingly, uh, we, we imagine a scale, right? And on the scale, we put someone like Adolf Hitler or Charles Manson. Uh, they're at the very bottom. This is the, the, the worst of the worst, the most morally reprehensible person in existence. They're at the bottom. And then at the very top of the scale, we put someone like uh, the Pope or Mother Teresa, uh, someone who lived a life of self-denial dedicated to helping the poor. And then we measure, when we measure people and grade people, we fit them in on this scale between this lowest point and this highest point, between the lowest person we could think of and the highest and the best. And everyone fits between those two extremes. The hateful, genocidal murderer who takes life, they're at the bottom, and the one who spends everything he has trying to improve life for other people. And that's our scale. And this scale isn't some sort of 21st century invention. It's not something that baby boomers invented or Generation X or millennials came up with. It's a scale that sinners have had for all time. And they passed it down from generation to generation through their hearts. During the time of Jesus' life, they didn't have the Pope or Mother Teresa to compare themselves to. So at the top of their scale, they placed the scribes and the Pharisees. There was no one better than this. And at the very bottom, they put the prostitutes and tax collectors. There was nothing more reprehensible than that. See, today the word Pharisee has a negative connotation because we've learned what Jesus taught in the New Testament, how he pointed out their own hypocrisy and how he pointed out their love of of worldly recognition. But back in the day, in the New Testament time, the word Pharisee was a good word. It meant something virtuous. It meant someone who was upright or ethical or respectable, someone who was laudable. And because outwardly, and this is why, because outwardly, the scribes and Pharisees were far better at, at keeping the commandments and following God's law than anyone else in the entire world. In the eyes of the people, no one on the entire planet was more righteous and more pleasing to God than the Pharisees and the scribes. So Jesus, knowing that we have this in mind, he teaches us that our righteousness must somehow exceed the Pharisees and the scribes. What Jesus is essentially saying is this. Unless you're better than the best person on earth, you can't go to heaven. Unless you're more giving 
than the most giving, more loving than the most loving, more humble than the most humble, you only have the fearful expectation of hell and suffering that awaits you. So look to the best person in this world and now go and outdo all the good he's done. And if you can't, then you can't go to heaven. The truth is, when Jesus speaks these words, it's not a threat. It's a promise. The promise of the law. The promises of the law are always conditional. If you do this, then you will get that. If, you, if your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, then you will enter the kingdom of heaven. So if you keep the law in all its parts, in thought, word, deed, and desire, and intention, then you will enter the kingdom of heaven. You will earn eternal life, and you'll deserve to be in heaven with Christ. You'll deserve your place there. You'll have your place carved out for you. But here's where things get even worse. That the command to be better than the scribes and Pharisees applies also to the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus is saying that no matter how righteous and good and holy you think the Pharisees are and how good they think they are, it's still not enough. The best you've seen is still not good enough. And so today Jesus tells us the same thing. Unless your righteousness, unless your actions, your thoughts, words, and deeds, and desires exceed that of the Pharisees, exceed that of the Pope, exceed that of Mother Teresa, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, those people lived, who lived their whole entire life in service of the poor. Those people who rejected the greed and envy and malice of this world. Those people who didn't engage in gossip and slander. Those people who secluded themselves, reading the Psalms and the Word of God daily, day in and day out. They are not good enough to inherit eternal life. They're not pleasing to God. And if they're up here, and you're down here somewhere in the middle, or even close to it, how do you think things will go for you? The answer is not very good. And many times we try to distract ourselves from Jesus' words by comparing ourselves to others on that scale. So we think, okay, fine, I'm not Mother Teresa, I'm not the Pope, I'm not uh, one of these wonderful uh, law-abiding Pharisees, but I, you know what? I am way better than Hitler or Jeffrey Dahmer or whoever else is at the bottom. I know I may not be all the way up here or above that, but I'm better than all these guys down here. I may not be a saint, but at least I'm not a murderer. So while you try to defend your sinfulness by pointing out the sinfulness of others, which never works, by the way, Jesus responds saying these words, and this is the second half of this text, the, the text that immediately uh, comes after the gospel lesson that you heard for today. And Jesus says these words, You've heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So with these words, Jesus knocks over our scale and our ladder of righteousness and turns it on its side. 
And he shows us that we're not varying degrees of righteousness, of righteous, but that we're all the same degree of unrighteous. Before God, no sinner stands above or, or before another sinner. Rather, we stand all side by side, all on the same plane, ready to receive the same judgment, the same blow of death and condemnation. And it seems so unfair. It seems absurd, really. It seems like, I can't, this is ridiculous. That here, a murderer and me who uh, gets angry and hateful of my brother, we're on the same plane? We're on the same level? How is that so? Well, it's not ridiculous and it's not unfair. Because God is God and he demands perfection. And when he judges, he judges the heart. So think about it. If you stand side by side here today, this morning, with a murderer, you might see and you might notice a difference when you look at the outside or you look at the history. His hands committed murder. Your hands haven't. But get rid of all of the externals and look only at the heart. And what does the heart of the murderer look like? Well, it's filled with anger and hate. And when your heart is filled with anger and hate against your brother, it looks exactly like that. What does the heart of a serial adulterer and rapist look like? Filled with lust, right? And when your heart is filled with lust for any woman who is not your wife, it looks exactly the same. Man judges the fruits or the actions of a man, the hands and the mouth, but God judges the root of sin. He judges the origin, the soul and the heart. And this is what God sees, and this is how God judges. He judges what is in the heart and what proceeds from it. So this means, ball up your fist just once in anger, and you are as condemned as the serial killer. One sigh of dissatisfaction with the life that God gave you, and you're as blameworthy as the one who takes and ends his own life. One single fleeting moment of a lustful desire that leaps from your gut and you're as sinful as the unfaithful and adulterous spouse. With one nanosecond of covetousness that beats in your heart, you're as doomed and as damned as the greatest of thieves and, and con, con men and swindlers. One little dot of doubt that appears and dwells in your mind. And you're as guilty, you're as, guilty as those who bend their knees to false gods and idols. This is the gravity of the law. This is how immense it is, how heavy it is. There's no them and you and the Pharisees. There's we. There are we, us, poor, miserable sinners. The cutoff line for salvation in this little scale is a thousand miles above the most righteous person in the world. And no matter how much we've advanced in technology and communication and medicine, there's one thing that has not improved at all. And that's the heart, the sinful heart. Dropsy and leprosy are nowhere to be found. But in every generation, you will still find murderers and thieves. You'll still find broken families and domestic violence. 
You'll still find slanderers and liars and disobedient children and defiant adults and addiction and regret. This there is no cure for. No, no amount of wishful thinking or self-help books can take this away. No government can eliminate anger and hatred from the heart. There's no exercise that you can do that will take away lust. There's no pill that you can take to make you love your neighbor, to love your enemies. And there's still no solution in this life, with our hands, to sin and guilt and death. See, we confess this truth in the words of the hymn that we'll, we'll be singing during the Lord's Supper today. All mankind fell in Adam's fall. One common sin infects us all. From one to all the curse descends, and over all God's wrath impends. So everything said today, everything said in the Old Testament reading, the epistle and the New Testament reading, everything said in the sermon so far, is nothing more and nothing less than what David said long ago in Psalm 14. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. They have been corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you can never enter the kingdom of heaven. So if we can't ever, in a billion years, make ourselves good enough to go to heaven, then why does Jesus even bother telling us how good we need to be? And the answer is this. Jesus says this not to motivate us to do better, but to make us realize that we can't. He says this so that we would learn the immensity of God's law and the monumental command of perfection and holiness that God demands in his presence. When you hear this and you hear these words and you hear what Jesus says equating the, the, the hatred in the heart to actually committing and slaughtering another person, you say, my goodness, if those are on the same level, then who in the world can do this? I can't do that. And how can anyone be perfect? This is absurd. And that's precisely the point. He tells you all that the law require, requires so that you stop looking at yourself, so that you start looking at Christ. He points out the uselessness of our righteousness so that we would see that the only one who is righteous is the one who is speaking these very words to us. Jesus tells us that nobody we know is worthy of salvation so that we will come to know him, the only one worthy of salvation. He points out our unrighteousness so that we would cry out for the righteousness of Christ. You see, the righteousness of Christ far surpassed that of the Pharisees. Because Jesus never sinned. He kept God's law, not only with his hand and his mouth, but with his heart and his mind and his soul. Every desire he had was good and holy and true. Every intention and motive was pure. Every fiber of his being was absolutely and truly good. He had a right spirit within him. He never transgressed God's law. He never once lusted after any woman. He never once gave into a thought of revenge or vengeance. In every moment of his life, his heart and soul were always, always pure. His actions were always right. His words were always true. He was better than the best, and yet he was treated worse, worse than the worst. And we see the full extent of his goodness 
and love to us. And the very moment that we sinners were most awful and evil to him. While we dug a crown of thorns into his head. And while we spit upon his bleeding face. We saw the depth of his love. While we took his clothes and shred the flesh on his back, we see the tremendous compassion that he had for us. And even while we hammered nails into his feet and while we stabbed his slain and lifeless heart, he never once, not even for a split second, desired or breathed an ounce of hatred or revenge against us. Rather, while his life was being poured out of him and the blood was being drained from his body, he proclaimed his undying love for us as he says, Father, forgive them. When we hated Jesus and wanted his blood to be spilled, he did exactly that. And as his body was drained of all life, he used every ounce of it to take away the sins of the world to forgive the world, to give eternal life. By enduring our anger against him, he took away God's anger against us. And in the most selfless and loving act there on the cross, he kept none of his righteousness for himself. Rather, he gave it to the world so that all who would believe in him would be robed in his righteous blood and would have eternal life. The only one who was righteous the only one who was worthy of eternal life, the only one who earned heaven and deserves to be there, has given all of these things to us. As we drove all of our unrighteousness into him, he poured out all of his righteousness for us. He spilled his righteousness on you in holy baptism, where he baptized you into his blessed name and washed away all of your sin. He filled your ears with good words as he spoke his forgiveness into your ears. He poured his sinless and unblemished flesh and blood into yours here at this altar. So when Jesus says that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, unless you are better than the best, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, he means it. And when he says it, don't justify yourself. Don't excuse yourself. Don't compare yourself to others. But also, don't worry. Just hear his word. And despair of yourself and put your hope in Christ who crowns you with his perfect righteousness. Then rejoice because if his righteousness is now yours, then so is the kingdom of heaven. So whether you are Jeffrey Dahmer or the Pope or somewhere in between, it makes no difference because you were equally lost and condemned in your own unrighteousness. But more importantly, it makes no difference because you've been equally found and saved by the righteousness of Christ. So when you look for righteousness, you don't look to the left or to the right. You don't look up to others or down on others. You don't look at your own hands or your own heart. You look straight ahead to the cross and you find all of your righteousness in Christ. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.